Chapter 16 of The Struggles of Brown, Jones, and Robinson by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Showing How Robinson Walked Upon Roses. Will it ever be said of me when my history is told that I spent forty thousand pounds a year in advertising a single article? Would that it might be told that I had spent ten times forty thousand. It was thus that Robinson had once spoken to his friend Poppins, while some remnant of that five hundred pounds was still in his hands. But what good does it do? It doesn't make anything. But it sells them, Poppins. Everybody wears a shirt, and no one wears more than one at a time. I don't see that it does any good. It is a magnificent trade in itself. Would that I had a monopoly of all the walls in London. The very arches of the bridges must be worth ten thousand a year. The omnibuses are invaluable. The cabs are a mine of wealth. And the railway stations throughout England would give a revenue for an emperor. Poppins, my dear fellow, I fancy that you have hardly looked into the depths of it. Perhaps not, said Poppins. Some objects to them that they're all lies. It isn't that I mind. As far as I can see, everything is mostly lies. The very worst article our people can get for sale they call middlings. The real middlings are very superior, and so on. They're all lies, but they don't cost anything, and all the world knows what they mean. Bad things must be bought and sold, and if we said our things was bad, nobody would buy them. But I can't understand throwing away so much money and getting nothing. Poppins possessed a glimmering of light, but it was only a glimmering. He could understand that a man should not call his own goods middling, but he could not understand that a man is only carrying out the same principle in an advanced degree when he proclaims with a hundred thousand voices in a hundred thousand places, that the article which he desires to sell is the best of its kind that the world has yet produced. He merely asserts with his loudest voice that his middlings are not middlings. A little man can see that he must not cry stinking fish against himself, but it requires a great man to understand that, in order to abstain effectually from so suicidal a proclamation, he must declare with all the voice of his lungs that his fish are that moment hardly out of the ocean. It's the poetry of euphemism, Robinson once said to Poppins, but he might as well have talked Greek to him. Robinson often complained that no one understood him, but he forgot that it is the fate of great men generally to work alone and to be not comprehended. The higher a man raises his head, the more necessary it is that he should learn to lean only on his own strength and to walk his path without even the assistance of sympathy. The greedy Jones had friends. Poppins, with his easy Epicurean laissez-aller, he had friends. The decent Brown, who would so fain be comfortable, had friends. But for Robinson there was no one on whose shoulder he could rest his head, 
and from whose heart and voice he could receive sympathy and encouragement. From one congenial soul, from one soul that he had hoped to find congenial, he did look for solace. But even here he was disappointed. It has been told that Marianne Brown did at last consent to name the day. This occurred in May, and the day named was in August. Robinson was very anxious to fix it at an earlier period, and the good-natured girl would have consented to arrange everything within a fortnight. "'What's the use of shilly-shallying?' said she to her father. "'If it's to be done, let it be done at once. I'm so knocked about among you, I hardly know where I am.' But Mr. Brown would not consent. Mr. Brown was very feeble, but yet he was very obstinate. It would often seem that he was beaten away from his purpose, and yet he would hang on it with more tenacity than that of a stronger man. "'Town is empty in August, George, and then you can be spared for a run to Margate for two or three days.' "'Oh, we don't want any nonsense,' said Marianne. "'Do we, George?' "'All I want is your own self,' said Robinson." "'Then you won't mind going into lodgings for a few months,' said Brown. Robinson would have put up with an attic, had she he loved consented to spread her bridal couch so humbly, but Marianne declared with resolution that she would not marry till she saw herself in possession of the rooms over the shop. "'There'll be room for us all for a while,' said old Brown." I think we might manage, said George. I know a trick worth two of that, said the lady. Who's to make Pa go when once we begin in that way? As I mean to end, so I'll begin. And as for you, George, there's no end to your softness. You're that green that the very cows would eat you. Was it not well said by Mr. Robinson in his preface to these memoirs, that the poor old commercial Lear, whose name stood at the head of the firm, was cursed with a gunneral and with a regan? But nothing would induce Mr. Brown to leave his home, or to say that he would leave his home before the middle of August, and thus the happy day was postponed till that time. "'There's many a slip twixt the cup and the lip,' said Poppins, when he was told. Do you take care that she and Polly ain't off to Aldersgate Street together? Poppins, I wouldn't be cursed with your ideas of human nature, not for a free use of all the stations on the Northwestern. Go to Aldersgate Street now that she is my affianced bride? That's gammon, said Poppins. When once she's married, she'll go straight enough. I believe that of her, for she knows which side her bread's buttered. But till the splice is made, she's a right to please herself. That's the way she looks at it. And will it not please her to become mine? It's about the same with them all, continued Poppins. My Polly would have been at Hong Kong with the buffs by this time if I hadn't knocked the daylight out of that sergeant. And Poppins, from the tone in which he spoke of his own deeds, seemed to look back upon his feat of valor with less satisfaction than it had given him at the moment. Polly was his own, certainly, but the comfort of his small menage was somewhat disturbed by his increasing family. 
but to return. Robinson, as we have said, looked in vain to his future partner in life for a full appreciation of his own views as to commerce. "'It's all very well, I dare say,' said she, "'but one should feel one's way.' "'When you launch your ship into the sea,' he replied, "'you do not want to feel your way. "'You know that the waves will bear her up, "'and you send her forth boldly.' As wood will float upon water, so will commerce float on the ocean streams of advertisement. But if you ran aground in the mud, where are you then? Do you take care, George, or your boat'll be waterlogged? It was during some of these conversations that Delilah cut another lock of hair from Samson's beard and induced him to confess that he had obtained that sum of five hundred pounds from her father and spent it among those who prepared for him his advertisements. "'No,' said she, jumping up from her seat. "'Then he had had it after all?' "'Yes, he certainly had it.' "'Well, that passes, and after all he said.' A glimmering of the truth struck coldly upon Robinson's heart. She had endeavored to get from her father this sum, and had failed. She had failed, and the old man had sworn to her that he had it not. But for what purpose had she so eagerly demanded it? Marianne, he said, if you love another more fondly than you love me, don't you bother about love, George, now? And so you got it out of him, and sent it all flying after the rest. I didn't think you were that powerful. The money, Marianne, belonged to the firm. Gracious knows who it belongs to now. But laws, when I think of all that he said, it's quite dreadful. One can't believe a word that comes out of his mouth. Robinson also thought that it was quite dreadful when he reflected on all that she must have said before she had given up the task as helpless. Then, too, an idea came upon him of what he might have to endure when he and she should be one bone and one flesh. How charming was she to the eyes, how luxuriously attractive, when in her softer moments she would laugh and smile and joke at the winged hours as they passed. But already was he almost afraid of her voice, and already did he dread the fiercer glances of her eyes. Was he wise in this that he was doing? Had he not one bride in commerce, a bride that would never scold, and would it not be well for him to trust his happiness to her alone? So he argued within his own breast. But nevertheless, love was still the lord of all. And the money's all gone, said Marianne. Indeed it is. Would I had as many thousands to send after it. It was like your folly, George, not to keep a little of it by you, knowing how comfortable it would have been for us at the beginning. But, my darling, it belonged to the firm. The firm! Aren't they all helping themselves hand over hand except you? There was Sarah Jane in the shop behind the counter all yesterday afternoon. Now I tell you what it is, if she's to come in, I won't stand it. She's not there for nothing, and she with children at home. No wonder she can keep a nursemaid, if that's where she spends her time. 
if you would go down more into the shop george and write less of them little books in verse it would be better for us all and so the time passed on towards august and the fifteenth of that month still remained fixed as the happy day robinson spent some portion of this time in establishing a method of advertisement which he flattered himself was altogether new but it must be admitted in these pages that his means for carrying it out were not sufficient in accordance with this project it would have been necessary to secure the cooperation of all the tailor's foremen in london and this could not be done without a douceur to the men his idea was that for a period of a month in the heart of the london season no new coat should be sent home to any gentleman without containing in the pocket one of those alluring little silver books put out by brown jones and robinson the thing is to get them opened and looked at said robinson now i put it to you poppins whether you wouldn't open a book like that if you found that somebody had put it into your tailcoat well i should open it you would be more or less than mortal did you not if it's thrown into your cab you throw it out if a man hands it to you in the street you drop it if it comes by post you throw it into the waste-paper basket but i'll defy the sternest or the idlest man not to open the leaves of such a work as that when he first takes it out of his new dress-coat surprise will make him do so why should his tailor send him the book of b j and r there must be something in it the name of b j and r becomes fixed in his memory and then the work is done if the tailors had been true to me i might have defied the world but the tailors were not true to him during all this time nothing was heard of brisket it could not be doubted that brisket busy among his bullocks in aldersgate street knew well what was passing among the browns in bishopsgate street once or twice it occurred to robinson that the young women marianne namely and mrs poppins expected some intervention from the butcher was it possible that mr brisket might be expected to entertain less mercenary ideas when he found that his prize was really to be carried off by another but whatever may have been the expectations of the ladies brisket made no sign he hadn't seen his way and therefore he had retired from the path of love but brisket even though he did not see his way was open to female seduction why was it that at this eventful period of robinson's existence mrs poppins should have turned against him why his old friend polly twizzle should have gone over to his rival robinson never knew it may have been because in his humble way poppins himself stood firmly by his friend for such often is the nature of women be that as it may mrs poppins who is now again his fast friend was then his enemy we shall have to go to this wedding of george's poppins said to his wife when the first week in august had already passed i suppose old pikes'll give me a morning old pikes was a partner in the house to which mr poppins was attached i shan't buy my bonnet yet a while said mrs poppins 
And why not, Polly? For reasons that I know of. But what reasons? You men are always half blind and the other half stupid. Don't you see that she's not going to have him? She must be pretty sharp changing her mind, then. Here's Tuesday already, and next Tuesday's to be the day. Then it won't be next Tuesday, nor yet any Tuesday this month. Brisket's after her again. I don't believe it, Polly. Then disbelieve it. I was with him yesterday, and I'll tell you who was there before me. Only don't you go to Robinson and say I said so. If I can't make sport, I shan't spoil none, said Poppins. Well, Jones was there. Jones was with Brisket, and Jones told him that if he'd come forward now, he should have a hundred down and a promise from the firm for the rest of it. Then Jones is a scoundrel. I don't know about that, said Mrs. Poppins. Marianne is his wife's sister, and he's bound to do the best he can by her. Brisket is a deal steadier man than Georgie Robinson, and won't have to look for his bread so soon, I'm thinking. He hasn't half the brains, said Poppins. Brains is like soft words. They won't butter no parsnips. And you've been with Brisket, said the husband. Yes, why not? Brisket and I was always friends. I'm not going to quarrel with Brisket because Georgie Robinson is afraid of him. I knew how it would be with Robinson when he didn't stand up to Brisket that night at the Hall of Harmony. What's a man worth if he won't stand up for his young woman? If you hadn't stood up for me, I wouldn't have had you. And so ended that conversation. A hundred pounds down, said Brisket to Jones the next day. Yes, in our bill for the remainder. The cash on the nail? Paid into your hand, said Jones. I think I should see my way, said Brisket. At any rate, I'll come up on Saturday. Much better say tomorrow or Friday. Can't. It's little goggum fair on Friday, and I always kills on Thursday. Saturday will be very late. There'll be time enough if you've got the money ready. You've spoken to old Brown, I suppose. I'll be up as soon after six on Saturday evening as I can come. If Marianne wants to see me, she'll find me here. It won't be the first time. Thus was it that among his enemies the happiness of Robinson's life was destroyed. Against Brisket he breathes not a word. The course was open to both of them, and if Brisket was the best horse, why let him win? But in what words would it be right to depict the conduct of Jones? End of chapter 16 Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina